Martin was 19 years old and attending college for the first time. He'd been raised in a Christian home and was excited to be in an Old Testament class. Then his professor told the class that the teachings they had heard about Christ as they grew up were not true. He told them miracles don't happen, and what you learned in Sunday school is not true. This shook Martin up, as it did for many of his classmates. But rather than just believe the professor, Martin went to a Christian bookstore and bought Defending the Faith by Josh McDowell. This apologetic book helped him find biblical answers. Unfortunately, some of his classmates didn't do research, and some of them became disillusioned. In today's world, parents are concerned about their youth when they send them off to college. How do we equip our children to defend their faith against false teachings and dangerous beliefs? What is apologetics, and why do we need to know God's Word to defend our faith? My guest today is Martin Winslow. He's the mission pastor of Canaan Christian Church, the farmer headmaster at Ozark Christian Academy, and the founder of two Christian schools in Africa for poor and impoverished children. He's also written the book, Parenting Tips for the Christian Home. Today, our topic is why should we know what we believe and why we believe. This is Kay Meyer, president of Family Shield Ministries and your host for today's program. Thanks, Martin, for being our guest today on Family Shield. It's my pleasure, Kay. Thank you so much for having me. I'm glad to have you. Uh, tell our listeners how your faith was impacted when you went away to college. I began with that story, but you have a lot more to share. Sure. Um, you know, I was a young believer. I, I really uh, began to believe the gospel when I was 17 years old and and accepted it. And I, I went to college and was real excited whenever I saw that a class in the Old Testament was being offered. And so uh, when I went and, and took this class, it was the first the first day in class, this professor began to tell us why, you know, we couldn't really trust the scriptures, that it was just another book of literature from the ancient world, and, and how many things were wrong with it. And so it impacted me. Uh, I mean, I was scared after that first college class. Mm, mm. Well, thankfully, you did go and get an apologetic book that helped you learn and grow. That's what they do. But um, many people, as, as I mentioned in that beginning, and some of your own classmates didn't do that. And they may have actually just fallen away completely from the faith. Or maybe it sat in the back of their mind for a long time and then, uh, years later, right, changed you, and stopped attending you, church. Yes, you know when when you hear your entire life that the Bible is true, and you grow up in church as I did, um, you believe that your parents are always telling you the truth. So, you know, you get into college, you have this professor who has all these degrees behind their name, and all of a sudden they're telling you that the things you learned as a child were not actually true. It definitely is disillusioning. That's a perfect word for it. In fact, I still remember in my mind right now, I can look back and, and think of all the students in the classroom along with me and watch the expressions on their face as they heard this professor. Now, for me, it made me mad. And mm -hmm. I wasn't mad at the professor. I was mad that I didn't have answers. <sighs> And that's really what spurred me on to do some research and to find out, were the things my parents told me, were the things my pastor preached on true, 
Or was it just a fairy tale? And I really wanted the truth. Yeah. And that's why that book, Defending the Faith, was such a good one. Josh McNall, I went downstairs Mm -hmm. after I saw you had uh, got that book and I had several of his books. And I love them. They're well-worn because it takes time and then you forget what you've read. So let's, for our listeners, let's define apologetics because a lot of Christians don't even understand that it's all over the Bible, uh, and uh, Jesus was an apologist, and the apostles were apologists. But what does that word mean? And let's get it down to where they can understand. Then we'll talk about a few of the Bible verses, too. Sure. Well, when you hear the word in our language, you think, what are you apologizing Uh for? That's exactly what people think. But apologetics is actually two Greek words that are stuck together, and it really literally means to throw a word back. So it's the idea that someone says something that's false or something that you disagree with, and an apologist would be the one who would correct that false statement. And so a good definition of it, I guess you could say for like the Christian world is an apologist is someone who gives reason justifications for their faith. So Paul uses the word about himself, for instance, in Philippians, the first chapter, verse uh, 16, he talks about being a defender of the gospel. And that word for defender is the word apologetics. Ah, good. So that's really where the word comes from. Yeah, good. I thought of a few others. Jude 1, verse 3, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Just talk a bit about that verse. Sure. I mean, in our culture today, no one wants to contend for it anything, right? Uh, you argue or you uh, you might correct somebody. And in our culture today, a lot of people want to say, well, that that's true for you, but it's not true for me. But the scripture tells us there's only one truth. And so, and we know logically that that's true as well. So, you know, here's Jude. He wants to write about other things, right? Our common salvation. But even in the times in the first century, it was important for him to write to contend for the faith. That's what the Christians had to do. And there's always been false doctrine and false teachings. And so we have to be prepared in a world where Satan takes truth and bends it and our own flesh sometimes wants to rationalize things that we have to be contenders, defenders of the truth. You bet. Another verse is 2 Timothy three sixteen to 17. Let me just read it. All scripture is God-breathed and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent and equipped for every good work. I love that verse, but in today's world, what Christians say is, oh, no, you don't correct somebody, uh, somebody's teaching. If they believe it, it's okay. Uh, and and a lot of people in the counter-cult area, which we work a lot in, mm-hmm. will just be so upset that we say, no, you know, what they're teaching about Jesus is a false Christ and a false gospel. And the Bible's full of verses about false Christ and false gospels, false prophets. Yes. And yet people don't know anything about apologetics, and they they think they're not supposed to Uh, correct others. We have to, but we have to do it lovingly. Absolutely. You know, um, the Bible tells us as well that, you know, in in Titus, it it tells us that an elder in a church has to exhort in sound doctrine and refute those who contradict. You know, it's not just preaching of, of the truth, but to actually refute falsehood and to refute lies. You're exactly right. Amen. That's a great verse. Yeah, it is. And the the last one I want to talk about before I ask you some more questions 
is one of my favorites, 1 Peter 3, 15 to 16. Sanctify Christ as Lord in your heart, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and respect. And that is what I always like to do. I don't I don't like to argue, even though debate is biblical, uh, and sometimes you have to. I think there is a fine line between debate and arguing, Mm. and arguing usually is going to be raised voices, and nobody's going to be listening. Totally agree. Totally agree. You know, I I think the important thing is uh, what Peter says there at the end, in gentleness and reverence, that's treating everybody as if they're, they're the image of God, they're image bearers. And um, treating them with respect, even though you might disagree with them. And I really feel like that's the, that is the best way to do it. You're telling the truth, mm-hmm. you're defending the gospel, but you're doing it in such a way that you're loving that right, person. Right. And I think that's the way Jesus did things. Mm. I want to ask you how Jesus was an apologist and uh, have you give us a few examples. But I don't think people think about the fact that Jesus was an apologist. People were always coming to him, asking him questions, trying to set him up for failure a lot of times. So just talk a little bit about why Jesus was an apologist and maybe some, at least one example, a couple examples. You, you bet. Um, so there's a book written by a guy named David De Silva, and in that book, it's called Honor, Patronage, Kinship, and Purity in the Ancient World. He talks about the first century culture that Jesus grew up in, and he calls it an agonistic culture, which means agonistic means contest-oriented. And so in Jesus' culture, and you see this all over the Gospels, um, you see the scribes and the Pharisees challenge Jesus, and then he's expected to give what's called a riposte, to give an answer back. And that's really what apologies, apologetics is all about. And we see this all over the New Testament. A lot of times uh, the scribes and the Pharisees will come to Jesus and ask him his view of the Sabbath. Um, if you look in the Sermon on the Mount, many times, you know, he says, you've heard it said, But I say unto you, which is actually not changing God's word, but what he's doing is he's clarifying. He's using a hermeneutic to teach them that they understood those passages of Scripture wrong. But one great example might be their false belief, the scribes and Pharisees, on the Sabbath day where Jesus is healing people. He tells a guy, you know, pick up your mat and go home, you know, on the Sabbath day. He also heals a man with a withered hand in Mark, the first chapter, and And he does this on the Sabbath. The scribes and Pharisees are really angry at Jesus because you're not supposed to do any work on the Sabbath. But Jesus tells them in Mark chapter 2, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. In other words, the Sabbath wasn't made, God didn't make it into a hammer to hit people over the head with. He gave us a Sabbath as a gift to remind us that all days belong to him and as a gift to us. Um, so that we could rest on those days. But it's always good to do good to your neighbor on the Sabbath. So that might be one picture of an apologetic that Jesus gave regarding the Sabbath. Great. So we we could talk a, a lot more about Jesus being an apologist, but let's talk about at least one of the apostles that, uh, and I think all of them probably have examples of how they defended the faith, but just you pick who you want to sure. talk about, one of, of the apostles. Yeah, I, I think Peter is probably, sorry, Paul is probably the best picture of, a, of an apologist in the New Testament. But I mentioned Peter's name as well, because actually Peter and Paul, 
get into a little rift in the book of Galatians, right? And it's over the nature of the gospel, really. Now, Peter doesn't realize it at the time, but he's being a hypocrite, and he's adding conditions to the gospel where Paul, in an apologetic fashion, calls Peter back to the truth. So, and Peter comes back to that truth. Um, And when you look at Paul, I mean, that's his ministry in the New Testament. He goes to the synagogues, right? Now, Peter was originally the, you know, he's going to be the apostle to the Jews, but there are many times where Paul himself goes into the synagogues and tries to reason with the Jews. And so, uh, when he's reasoning with those Jews, he's having little arguments and discussions, and he's using apologetics to show them that Jesus is the Christ. He also does this with unbelievers. If you look at the Epicureans and the Stoics that he comes to in the book of Acts chapter 17 on Mars Hill, mm-hmm. he he begins to debate with these guys about uh, this God that they've never met, you know, um, who is this God of resurrection, uh, Jesus. And so you can see many yeah. other pictures of that, but that Paul's probably our best. That's great. Yeah, I think so too, although I can think of a, a few others. So let's transition for a minute. How do we prepare our children and youth so that they can t- contend for the faith when they go away to college or graduate from high school and go to work or graduate from college and go to work? As parents and grandparents, I'm a grandparent, how do we help our children. You know, when they're five years old or even seven years old, you really can't teach them a lot about apologetics. Right. But as they're out on their own, they're going to be hit with that. In fact, I was remembering uh, my my 32-year-old son, Jeff. Uh, my husband and I uh, took him uh, to the Creation Museum before the Noah's Ark was done. And... Um, I didn't know, because he'd been living in Chicago, that he had had a lot of discussions with friends who didn't believe in creationism. They believed in evolution, and that had confused him. So when we went to the Creation Museum, on the way home, he just raved and raved about how wonderful it was, how much he learned, and we were so thankful that we had taken him, because we didn't know that was in August that in December of that year, he was diagnosed with stage four cancer and did wow. not live. He lived till the June after that. Um, but we hadn't known that. And that mm-hmm. helped his faith so much throughout even the cancer treatment. Praise God. And so thank God for that. But we did that without even knowing. Right. We didn't even know. Um, let me do this. Let me t- make some announcements and we'll come mm-hmm. back and talk about that a little bit more. Thank you. Family Shield Ministries cares about families growing in Christ and equips them to witness to each other and to the world. The Family Shield radio program is aired on more than 50 radio stations throughout the United States. We also produce a weekly podcast available on Apple Podcast. Family Shield is giving away our newest booklet, Sharing Our Faith in Daily Life. It's also available on the website for a free download. If you'd like to receive a copy, call the Response Center, 1-877-250-8416, or email us 
at witness2family at gmail.com. We invite you to sign up to receive our free email newsletter at www.familyshieldministries.com. Besides sharing information about upcoming radio programs and podcasts that you can promote at your congregation, the newsletter also includes a devotional thought or article. Your prayers and financial support are critical as we journey through this pandemic. We are a listener-supported ministry. Please consider a gift to support us. Send your gift to Family Shield Ministries, P.O. Box 23015, St. Louis, Missouri, 63123, or you can charge a gift on our website. Uh, You can also sign up to give automatically each month on the website. Now I want to go back to my guest, Martin Winslow, our topic, why we should know what we believe and why we believe right before the break. I talked about our son, Jeff, and going to the Creation Museum. Uh, As I said, that was really, we didn't know. He hadn't told us. Uh, He was living with us at the time, and he had been home just a few months. But we didn't realize he was struggling with that. So we were so thankful that we took him there. But I want to talk just for a minute about what parents can do to help their children, like your situation. I don't know for sure, but... I would guess maybe your parents or your your mom and stepdad had maybe taught you a little bit about apologetics. Absolutely. My stepfather, um, he was a Jehovah's Witness for the first 38 years of his life. And all conversions are radical, but he had a radical conversion. <laughs> and he was sitting I in a kingdom I know your hall. stepdad. You know my stepdad. <laughs> yeah. He has this, uh, you know, he's reading actually the New World Translation, if you can believe it. Ah. Uh, and they can only mess that Bible up so much. But he read First John chapter 5, verses 9 through 13, and he believed the gospel right then and there in oh, that place, wow. in a kingdom hall. And as in I was growing hall, up, in a kingdom really? <laughs> hall. And, and as I was growing up, he would go and share what God had done in his life and how he delivered him from this cult. And I was just a kid, would go with him and... And listen to him talk about the Trinity and the deity of Christ and what he didn't know at the time. I mean, it's kind of like what you said a minute ago about your son even. He was just living his life faithfully. Mm-hmm. And and I was catching and you were a lot absorbing of things. Because you bet. modeling is absolutely you critical. Bet. And, and you I, were seeing it. You, you were bet. seeing his faith. Yeah. You bet. And and you know, kids are these little hard drives, right? That are just <laughs> recording everything yes. that you do and yes. say. And so I think just the legitimacy of like a faith lived out mm-hmm. is one of the best things you can do. You said, you know, we didn't even plan to take our son to do this. We we just did it yeah. because we do Christian things. We care about Christian truths. And yeah. so whether that's mom, whether quiet times in the morning or reading those Bible stories to your kids at night before bed and just beginning when they're small and being faithful in that. That's going to go a long way whenever they come up against cultural ideas that are false later. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for that. Yeah. And I think uh, just having resources available Mm. uh, Mm -hmm. or if they ask you a question, which, again, sometimes the youth don't ask the questions. But if they ask uh, that that you would recommend some apologetic information. Sure. uh, Because there a lot of them totally don't know where to go. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, A Ready Defense by Josh McDowell is a great uh, resource. I know in my book, um, you know, that you mentioned earlier, the last chapter I spend telling my story and also talking about 
uh, many different things as it relates to being ready in science and math and, you know, every subject you can think of, like what's the angle from a Christian worldview uh, on those things. There's also things you can do with your kids. So, yeah, in my book, uh, Parenting, Parenting tips, tips for, the, for the Christian home. Yeah. So, so the, your story is at the end. I just got it, it today. I didn't yeah. even know that. Yeah. It's it's at the end. And I go through and try to try to answer some really important questions for kids who go off to college. But um, there's also things you can do with your kids like uh, Faith Ascent Ministries here in, in Maryland Heights that is good. They have camps for kids in the summer. They're mm-hmm. interdenominational, but they talk about all those hot button topic issues mm-hmm. like abortion, homosexuality, right. transgender movement. Oh, yeah. How do we answer these things from a biblical worldview and how do we think biblically? Um, Summit Ministries, which is based out in Colorado as well. We used to send our students when they graduate from OCA, we'd send them for a two-week training course to Summit Ministries where they could deal with all these things in a real, you know, eight hours a day, have great apologists from all over talk about these issues and how they can interact lovingly, Mm -hmm. like 1 Peter talks about, with truth. Um, And, you know, a simple Google search will get you to to books like Cold Case Christianity by J. Warner Wallace. There's there's lots lots of of good good Christian books, yeah. Natasha Crane is another author that's writing things for families right now. I think uh, also it's very important for parents and grandparents to have an openness to allow the children of all ages to ask questions and not to cut them off. Well, you can't not believe because if you come back with anger or it's black and white – then they're just going to hide what they That's really think. Right. I got to kick it. The last time we visited our grandkids, um, my daughter and son-in-law were out of the home, and the two mm-hmm. older grandkids, when we were, my husband and I sat down in the living room with them, they were like magnets. They came in and started asking us questions. Right. And I'm like, oh, this was pretty nice. They wanted to ask questions, but of course, when mom and dad were around, they weren't asking the same questions. Right. And I thought, oh, that's just so sweet. <laughs> <laughs> you do you do have to let them ask because it's, it has to be their faith, not yours. Yes. And so, uh, and if you don't have the answers, the answers I'll guarantee are out there. Someone asked those questions before. Yeah. So, you Well, bet. our time's getting uh, away from us, but one of the reasons I ask you for this topic is because I heard you speak at the Witnesses Now for Jesus. Why should we know what we believe and what we believe. And we may not have time to finish this, but you had some really good things to say about apologetics and uh, some of these things we've touched on. Uh, You say being an apologist helps us defend our faith, and I think we've talked about that a lot. It helps the church against the claims of unbelievers from outside the church. Now, a lot of times people don't realize uh, outside the church People are always saying things that are unbiblical, many times not even because they're doing it intentionally, but because they don't understand what the church really teaches. Can you give an example of that? Sure. Um, Recently, you know, Don Lemon, who's one of the hosts on CNN, he had made this statement, and he just said it matter-of-fact. Now, a lot of Christians, of course, their antenna went up immediately. But us apologists love it when things like this happen because we can point out what the truth actually is. But he said this, quote, Jesus Christ, if that's who you believe in, Jesus Christ admittedly was not perfect when he was on earth. Yeah, duh. Now imagine, Kay. (laughs) But how many people don't know the Bible tells us? 
Exactly. What does it say? The opposite. You, you answer. That's right. I'm not. Yeah. I'm not the guest yeah. today. Yeah. Sorry about that. Yeah, Matthew chapter five, in 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 the greatest sermon ever preached, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says that he didn't come to destroy the law or the prophets, but to fulfill the law and the prophets. Um, the scriptures tell us in the book of Hebrews that Jesus was perfect and without sin. He was tempted in every way as we are and yet was without sin. I mean, if he died on the cross for his own sins, he can't save anyone. But the scriptures clearly teach us that, no, Jesus was perfect man and that he died in our place for our sins. So here's Don Lemon making this... Making this, you making know, this statement. general statement. Literally, he did not understand that. And right. I really believe there are lots of Christians in the church that don't realize that the Bible tells us Jesus was perfect and right. had no sin. He had to be to be who he was and to right. suffer and die for our sins. And yet, for some reason, they don't get it. Right, right. Or and they I, don't know the Bible actually has a verse about that. Sure. And, and that just shows you that, especially for Christians who might question that, the media, the culture is having more of an impact than God's word. Yeah. Sadly. Yeah. So I want to move forward because our time's going to get away from us. Uh, being an apologist, knowing what we believe and why we believe, helps the church against claims from unbelievers within our churches. Now, I think a lot of people are going to go, what? Inside the churches, we have people, unbelievers, telling us things. Talk, talk a little bit more about that. Why, why is that and how is that? Certainly. Um, you know, I'll give you one example. Um, there's a man that's named Matthew Vines who wrote a book recently called God and the Gay Christian. Mm. Matthew Vines claims to be a pastor. I read his book from cover to cover and and just consumed it. I wanted to know what he had to say because he made this famous video that went viral about the Bible not actually talking about homosexual marriage. Now, he says that oh, the marriage. Bible— it Right. Doesn't it doesn't talk about homosexual marriage, marriage right. because there is no, no such thing right. as homosexual marriage. But that's not what—that's what most people don't know. Now, homosexuality is a sin, but there is no such thing as homosexual marriage. Well, he tells his story. It's very compelling. He grew up in a small town in Kansas. He was an outcast, those kind of things. You know, it's, it's one of those stories. But what we see is that the Scripture, you know, it teaches us that, that guys like Matthew Vines, and I think he— you know, he really needs Jesus uh, more than anything. He needs to realize the truth of the gospel and to turn to the Lord. But he's not a pastor. He's in an illegitimate relationship, and homosexuality is is ultimately a sin. But that's just one of those exactly. issues today. Yeah. Our time is going to get away from us, but we could talk a lot more about that. The last point you had is that we are surrounded by lostness. And the gospel is our only hope. And that is so true today. So for the minute or so we have left, just talk a little bit more about the saving gospel message of Jesus Christ, the power of God for salvation. Yeah. Tell our listeners. Yeah, Jesus told us in Mark, the 10th chapter, he says, uh, the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And the Bible's clear that everyone that turns to Christ in faith, believing his sacrifice in their place for their sins, that he rose again, that he conquered death. Um, and that's God's vindication that everything he said was true when he came back from the dead. Dead people don't get a, come to life, you know. Yeah. Um, if we turn to him, uh, we can be forgiven and have a relationship with God. And so that's the good news of the gospel. That's the only hope that we have. That's it. The gospel message. 
believe, place your faith in Christ. He loves you so much. And he loves every person out there, no matter how much of a sinner you are. Amen. He will forgive you when you place your faith in him. Our time is up. This is Kay Meyer with Family Shield. My guest has been uh, Martin Winslow and uh, his book, again, Parenting Tips for the Christian Home. We're thankful you've been listening. Join us again next time. This is Kay Meyer with Family Shield, our website, www.familyshieldministries.com. God bless your day. You've been listening to Family Shield, a production of Family Shield Ministries. Its mission is to educate and equip people through the power of the gospel to know Christ, grow in His Word, and to strengthen individuals and their families. To learn how you can obtain resources or support the ministry, go to www.familyshieldministries.com or write Family Shield Ministries, P.O. Box 230015, St. Louis, Missouri, 63123. And tune in again next week for Family Shield. Family Shield.